Welcome to the Go Well podcast. This is Kate Mercer and today I'm talking with Miranda Mueller all about permaculture. Miranda Mueller lives in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, Australia and her business Go to Ground is a herb and vegetable seedling nursery that adds to her simple lifestyle, rich with activism and a love of all things green. Miranda's passion, however, is permaculture and she regularly opens her farm gates to encourage others to reconnect with the art of growing food for people's health as well as for the earth's well-being. Welcome to uh, the Go Well program, Miranda Mueller. Thank you so much, Kate, for having me along. Yeah, fantastic. Love everything you're doing. We're going to go straight into permaculture. Can you uh, talk to us about permaculture, what it is, what you'd like to share, what you think maybe people might like to know a bit more about, about permaculture? Sure. Well, um, permaculture for me, studying permaculture was life-changing. You know, it was a real, it was a real life-changing moment when I, I met my permaculture teacher um, I studied for six months of a night time and permaculture really teaches us to go back to basics. You know, it's really about observing nature and working with nature rather than fighting against her. Um, permaculture looks at the sun paths and, and, you know, the weather patterns and really asks us to tap into what's happening seasonally and work with nature and cooperate. So, yeah, off the back of that, that study of permaculture, my life really changed for the better. Yeah, I think it's uh, anyone I've ever, who's ever got into it, has, uh, I think it's uh, been the same for them. I've come across people who are permaculture people and they're like, it's a real culture, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. It, it permeates every part of your lifestyle. And, um, you know, there are systems with nature that you can actually apply to your own to your own life as well it's it's empowering yes yeah good yeah philosophy good philosophy for life can we just drill down into that a bit more and can you talk about some of the permaculture principles just for people who, who've never who don't really know too much about it yeah sure so it becomes as i said about working with nature rather than against um, there's really beautiful parts of permaculture that encourage you to grow and to share your excess so if you know if you happen to have a large harvest you you share the surplus which i think is really really beautiful mm, yeah. and it's also a lot about reciprocity so it's finding balance in giving as much as you take um mm. following patterns in nature um it's it's beautiful the principles are really really beautiful yeah, no, actually, I really like that, um, share the surplus. I actually feel that that's something we d we're not doing well enough at the moment. Um, I recently did a bit of a feature on this show over the month of February and spoke to a few different people about food in our local community and how it was being produced. And, um, yeah, what are, you, what's, what are your thoughts on that, on, on how well we're sharing and what more we can do in that area? I think one of the big, biggest problems in society is the distribution of wealth. You know, I think it, it has a lot to answer for and permaculture encourages us to find other ways around that and around sharing. I think it's a huge problem. Yes, yes. Well, but actually, if you come back into your community, which you're a big part of there where you're living in Dandenong, you've, you've got your own business up there, you're doing workshops and things. Where do you, what do you, what do you, where do you see the gaps? I mean, there are things like 
that I've thought of and that I've read about they're doing in the US, for example, where um, the community comes together to harvest uh, fruit that might be growing wild or something. You know, I sort yeah. of where I'm living, we have, um, you know, plum trees everywhere. And we just see, you walk along the street and just see them all sort of rotting on the trees. You sort of think well, there's more we can do. Well, I, well, I work at a nursery every weekend and a big part of my ethos is free education. So I hold workshops alongside the nursery owner every weekend, sharing recipes and, and sharing produce. So that's a big part of my business model. Um, I'm also sponsoring a community garden that has a food is free cupboard on the porch of a church, which means that people can share their excess. There's a fridge on the porch and there's a, um, a safe with all fresh, fresh fruit and vegetables and a community garden attached to that too. My business sponsors that and has done for many years. So food is free and education is free mm. is a big part of my ethos. Mm, no, it's fantastic. All right, going back to the actual the gardening side of permaculture, because uh, I think I mentioned to you as well, again, where I'm living here in Castlemaine, it's, the soil is just so hard, so dry. There's a lot of gardeners here who just love gardening, and it's very, very tough. Uh, how do you think permaculture would help in that sort of climate? Well, a big part of permaculture is building soil. And I think, you know, when we had our first conversation, we were talking about composting and, and building soil. And I've seen some incredible gardens that have been turned around from having completely depleted, sandy, rocky soil to having an abundance of topsoil and growing incredible crops and incredible food. So can you give an example of that? I know like before I moved here, I was living up in uh, northern New South Wales, where of course it's, you know, subtropical uh, and now we're growing, you know, uh, you know, fruit and vegetables, well, probably more vegetables quite successfully using straw bales. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe can you give people an idea of a different, I mean, they've got a lot of wiki beds and things around here. Is there anything that you might suggest that's a little bit different? Yeah, well, um, the last permaculture design course I was involved in, we did a, a field trip out to a property in Ararat and the lady there was telling us about what dreadful soil she started with. Um, sort of clay, no topsoil, lots of rock. And she said the first part of her journey was reaching out to every local gardener in the area, so anyone who had a lawn mowing business, and she requested the lawn clippings from all of the local gardeners. And she started layering her whole yard with lawn clippings and cardboard, which is basically a really simple compost recipe, but she did it on a grand scale and she did it over years. And while mm. we were there on the, on the field trip, she actually put a shovel into the ground and showed us the depth of her topsoil and the quality of her topsoil. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. Isn't that amazing? Wow, that's an amazing, but you say over years, so you've got to be, but I mean, most gardeners are very, very diligent. So, I mean, that's an easy thing that people can do, isn't it? Well, it, it does take patience to build, to build good mm. soil, but that's the foundation. So it's just so important. The other thing I really like, and we're going to cut pretty soon over to your beautiful book, one of the best books I think I've ever come across. Congratulations. Oh, Kate, that's so kind of you. Yeah, I'm very, oh, very proud. Amazing <laughs> book called Plants of Power, 
cultivate your garden apothecary and transform your life that you put together with a lady called Stacey DeMarco. We'll come to that uh, pretty soon. I wanted to talk to you firstly about weeds. <laughs> it's something that I um, that I, is close to my heart as well. I always sort of feel that there's there's a place for everything and everyone, isn't there? There absolutely is. I think um, I don't know how it is that from you know from childhood to to adulthood we lose the wonder of the beautiful dandelion. I think you know there are there are poison companies in the world that have a picture of a dandelion on the front with a big red cross through it, and uh, dandelion has somehow become an enemy, and I'm I'm not quite sure why that is. It's one of the most nutritious plants and it's so easily accessible to so many the whole of the dandelion is edible as i said it's nutritious we can tell a lot by our soils health by by looking at where they're appearing so generally a dandelion will grow in compacted soil with the mission of aerating the compacted soil because it has a taproot so i always know when i walk out into a landscape and i see a heap of dandelion that the soil needs aeration um, the fact that it's targeted so heavily by poison companies i think is in favor for a monoculture lawn which I don't really think is is all that attractive. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think I was telling you when we spoke as well, um, I was uh, looking at my backyard, which I'm living on a rental property here, and um, it was just covered in dandelions and uh, there were just bees everywhere, you know, and I just thought, do I want to really mow that? And it's really... yeah. You know? There's a really there's a really beautiful sign in in a local community garden here that says, uh, "Excuse the weeds, I'm feeding the bees." Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's just lovely. So I really, yeah, I think that the word weed is even quite contentious. Contentious. It plants out of place is far nicer. Yeah, and also it's it's like companion planting in a way, isn't it? So you're not doing it yourself. I mean, the plants, if they're growing there, maybe they're meant to be there for a reason or something. I don't know. But what what about yeah. you know farmers and you know Patterson's Curse and that sort of stuff? What what would you say about well, that? Well, even even when I was mentioning before about compacted soil attracting dandelion to aerate, often when we change the soil, we change what grows in the soil as well. So I would say that. Um, maybe overgrazing would would create a problem with with mm. that that plant that you just mentioned um because i see it so often in depleted paddocks mm. um it's also another really early good food for the bees so beekeepers actually love that plant yeah really interesting isn't it oh, God. <laughs> yeah it's really interesting yeah that could just open up a whole other conversation that that's somewhere. well you know we've had we've had workshops that have run from here called the peace on weeds rather than the war on weeds because we're quite passionate about foraging and collecting and harvesting so if there's a plant out of place often harvesting is the answer rather than waging a war yeah, but also I was meaning the new conversation, the different conversation would have been the way that the soil has been so damaged by, you know, the type of farming. Ah, that, that's, true. I mean. that's a whole other conversation there. But look, we're, yes. let's, let's cut back over to your book because it is just so beautiful and I'm going to get you. So 
Um, coming back to if people have just tuned in, it's called Plants of Power. Maybe if you'd like to uh, talk a little bit about the book and then we can go to a section of it. Why did you create the book and how is it, how is it created? Well, the book is a collaboration, as you mentioned before, with a dear friend of mine, Stacey. Um, we've shared a gardening journey over many years. Sydney's, uh, Sydney is Stacey's hometown. So a lot of our sharing is done via seeds in the post, plants mm. in the post. We're, we're avid sharers and we'll often get caught you know, on the phone talking for hours about what's happening in our garden. Mm -hmm. So it's a love for us both. Mm -hmm. um, the book started really by a conversation years ago. And I, and I said to her, I'd really love, you know, something modern and beautiful. And we kind of went back and forth together and, and came up with a design and, I think having something seasonal was really important mm. to both of us. Mm. So we put together a little pitch and Rockpool said yes. So that's how the that's how the idea was born. And it took how many years? Three years, did you say, to create it? it it's very it's very close on three years. There was a, there was a few delays here and there with COVID in between. Um, and when I say three years, it's it, it's probably longer than that because a lot of the photos have been taken over many years. So they, they're over, you know, a long, long period of time. We're going to go to, to the chapter on autumn, uh, of course, which is what we're in right now. And um, I'm going to get you to talk about elderberry. Elderberry is one of my favourites. I've got a beautiful, beautiful elderberry tree here. And actually the photo that is on the elderberry page is of our elderberry here on Mount Dandenong. Mm -hmm. So the, the elderberry tree for me is remarkable because the berries are in season in autumn, right before cold and flu season. Mm -hmm. And the elderberry is most famous for its immune building, you know, response. So the timing of the berries is so perfect. Generally, um, before COVID hit, I would run a an elderberry syrup making day on the property every year. So we light a, a big outside fire and we have a huge pot and a whole group of the community come along and stir and make a medicinal syrup. Um, the, the timing of it is not lost on me. It's kind of the last gathering of the season before we, we go inward. So it's really, it's a really, really lovely way to spend some time with the community. Everybody goes home with, you know, a medicinal syrup. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I just want to go more into how you present each plant in your book, because at the beginning, uh, you've got for elderberry, other names are elder, black elder, European elder, European elderberry and European black elderberry. Keywords, ruled by Venus, feminine by nature, superpowers, wisdom, recipro oh, reciprocity. That's <laughs> right. It's a good word. Yeah, yeah. Secret keeper, healing and repairing. I just love how you brought together, you know, more meaning to that plant through the way that you've created this with. with Absolutely. Yeah. So mm -hmm. while I'm, I'm a full-time gardener, Stacey's, um, you know, she's really brought it together with the mythology and, and the magic-making parts of the plants as well. It's quite, it's quite an amazing collaboration. 
No, it's fantastic. So in that, uh, so for each plant after you've sort of, then you've got a little bit of, how did you create the next part, the main text? Where's that story come from? Because I haven't read that yet. And then you've got the yeah. cultivation, then you've got two recipes. But how did you, what's the purpose of the story you sort of have there? It's, it's really to give insight into the relationship with the plant rather than rushing off to Whole Foods and buying a pound of dried elderberry, hmm. actually considering having and sharing a relationship with the plant. And that's, that's really about that reciprocity, really learning the give and take hmm. with a plant and sharing a relationship with a plant rather than just taking a harvest. Well, look, we've, we've come to sort of the end of the time of our interview today, but um, I think I could talk to you for a much longer time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could. And I don't even really garden. I don't have too much time. But even like just when you open the book, the first thing you've got at the front of that book is place your hands in the earth and listen. It's such an important message. And, you know, how often do we do that? How often can we do that? We need to take the time. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. And look, after uh, the interview, I think I'll uh, read out the um, the part that you have got on elderberry, so it gives people more of a taste of what you've got. And uh, that book is Plants of Power. I've been talking to Miranda Mueller, and thank you so, so much for coming on the show today, Miranda. I'm so grateful to have been invited along.